You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. Let's go ahead and take communion. If you have the bread, we can go ahead and uh, hold that out in front of you. I'll pray for it. Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning for the ability, the right and the privilege to take this communion. This morning, as we hold this bread, we declare that there is none sick among us. Jesus, there is none sick in our house. There are none sick in this church. Uh, Our families, everyone that we represent there, there is not one person that is sick in our midst. Because this morning, as we hold this bread, we stand on your word that says that by your stripes, we were healed. So this morning, we speak your reality into our life. We speak your truth into our existence. We thank you that we are whole. We are healthy. We are prosperous. Nothing missing, nothing broken. And again, this morning, we stand on the finished work of what you did for us, declaring that because you suffered, because you paid for it, we receive it even this morning. So we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. If you would just hold up the cup. Jesus, we thank you that your blood was shed for the remission of all our sin, past, present, and future. Because of you and because of the payment you made, we are forever and eternally righteous in you. Forever and eternally righteous in you. And all that belongs to the righteous man belongs to us and our children. So this morning as we take this cup, we thank you that you have qualified us. You have qualified us for favor. You have qualified us for blessing, protection. You have qualified us for the good life, the favored life, your life on this earth. And your blood has made it possible. So this morning as we drink this cup, we declare that everything that belongs to you is finding its way to us. Even as you say in Psalms 23, it is hunting us down. We drink this cup to declare that we are the favored. We are the righteous on this earth in you. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Everyone else, you ready for the word? Cool. I'm excited. Well, let's open up in prayer and we'll dive into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here. Jesus, you are here. And that is what is most important. Where two or more are gathered, you're in our midst. So this morning, Jesus, I ask that you give me a hearing heart. A heart to hear exactly what you would have for everyone in here. Not what I prepared, but what you would have. And Jesus, I thank you that this morning, as we sit at your feet and hear your word, you will be a savior for everyone in here. Whatever we need to be saved from, I thank you, you are still saving all of us, even this morning. So Jesus, I thank you for being who only you could be in our lives. And I thank you, Lord, that no one came to see me. We all came to see you. All of us came to see you. I thank you this morning, Lord, that you won't disappoint So, Jesus, we thank you for your presence, and we thank you for your favor. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited. Uh, I think you're going to be blessed this morning. I have a lot to share, but I won't take up too much of your time. Um, I I can see the screen. Can you see the screen? Does it? I'm just trying to figure out. If I did this right here, you can still see that clearly? Okay, cool. I didn't realize how bright it was, even though you turn off half the lights. Still relatively bright. Anyways, if you have your Bible, you can open up to Jeremiah 29. 
And we're going to pick up in verse 10. And uh, before I tell you what we're going to talk about, let's just start in Jeremiah 29. Um, and I know I already highlighted this. You can see 29.11. 29.11 is a very popular verse, but let me just give you some context because we're going to come back here later on. Uh, the context is they have been in the Israelites. They have gone into captivity. They were in the promised land. They've gone into captivity. And if you remember why, God told them uh, through the mouth of Moses that should the day come where you serve other gods, where you stop following me, you stop offering sacrifices, you start doing everything that the nations around you are doing, you start following other people. Um, and on top of that, if you don't let the land rest, I will kick you out. That's Matthew's translation. I will kick you out of the promised land. And so they do everything that they can possibly do. And finally, God has no choice. And he calls the prophet Ezekiel and he says, Ezekiel, let me show you why. Yes, I'm about to kick them out, but not without reason. Look at what's going on behind the scenes. Look at what's going on behind closed doors. Look at what's going on that no one knows about. And this is not just the people. This is the leadership. And he goes down the line. And finally, Ezekiel sees the spirit of God leave the presence of the temple and linger. Then he sees the presence of God go to the foot of Mount of Olives and linger. Then he sees the presence of God go to the top of the Mount of Olives and linger again. And finally, God says, I have no choice, Ezekiel. What else can I do? And Ezekiel says, wow, this is pretty intense. And finally, the Holy Spirit leaves. Now, what's amazing is Jesus shows up a couple hundred years later, and guess what Jesus does? He goes on top of, Mount, of the Mount of Olives, which we got to do when we were in Israel. He goes to the top of the Mount of Olives, and he looks out, and he says, Oh, Israel, I wish that I could cover you like a mother hen covers her chicks. There is a time coming that's dangerous, but you would not have me. So now I can't cover you anymore. But the same way that the Holy Spirit left and lingered on his way out, Jesus doesn't linger. He stands at the top and says, it's time for us to go into the city, Jerusalem. So he goes down the Mount of Olives, the same trail that we went down. I mean, we don't know what exact trail, but suffice to say, he went down the Mount of Olives. We went down the Mount of Olives. Uh, and he stops in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is at the bottom of the Mount of Olives. And there at the bottom, we know the rest of the story of the Passion, right? Judas shows up. They take him into the city. They have to take him into the city. And yet when Jesus comes back, guess what? No one will have to take him in. When Jesus comes back, the Bible says he'll come on the top of the Mount of Olives. The mountain will split in two. And where they had to take him in by soldiers, this time he will walk in on his own. So anyways, exciting when you go to Israel. Good times. But suffice to say this, uh, that's what Ezekiel saw, that, that the Holy Spirit left. And so here we are at a tough place. And all of a sudden, while they're in captivity, God raises up a young prophet named Jeremiah. And he tells Jeremiah all these things that was, was going on, all the reasons why they've gotten there. And then he starts turning. He says, Jeremiah, this is what I want to do for my people. So he says this. I know that you're in captivity, but we pick up in verse 10. He says, this is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and, I, and do for you all the good things I have promised. And I will bring you home again. Now, I know you're in captivity, Israel, but know this. I will bring you back home. There is a deadline to this problem that you're going through. There is a cutoff time to this trouble that you see in front of you. He says, look, the, at the end of 70 years, I will bring you home. Now, God is bound by his word. 70 years for them, it, was, it is what it is because they did not let the land rest so much time. God said, you have to have this much time to let the land rest. So they were bound to that 70 years. You and I, we are not bound to any time. The Bible says that there is an evil day and God wants you to be standing at the end of that evil day. It's not 24 hours. It's not seven days. It's not a month. Whatever that evil day is, it's very limited. But let me say this. That evil day can turn in a moment. Right. So, again, they had 70 years. They had to wait. But God says, don't worry, because then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. And I will bring you home again, for I know the plans I have for you. Now, we most of us. 
We've heard Jeremiah 29, 11. Uh, God says, for I know the plans I have for you, thoughts of good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Um, really amazing verse. But I put this in gold because I want you to see this. He says, I know the plans I have for you. Do you know that God has a plan for you? Yeah. Right? I mean, think about it. Do you really know and believe that God has a plan for you? And that's something that I think the Lord had to remind me not long ago. Matthew, I have a plan. <laughs> And I was just sitting here like, but God, you know, you look at everything going on in front of you, all the problems around you. And you're like, Lord, how did I get here? And the Lord is like, but I have a plan. Now, there is there, there's moments where we deviate from the plan. I'm not saying that at all. There are moments we deviate. I think when we look at the story of Joseph, remember, um, it's a well-known story. A lot of people use that to talk about this topic specifically. God gives him a dream. He shows him, this is what I'm going to do. And he's speaking to him prophetically. This is where you will be. This is all the I'm going to do this for you. And Joseph starts running his mouth. And before God can do what he wants to do, now he's in a pit. Now, was it God's plan to put him in a pit? Most likely not. But no matter what you do, let me say this. God can turn everything that the devil is using against you for your good. When, when Satan saw angels are collecting in Bethlehem, angels are surrounding themselves in Bethlehem, Satan realized, I think that the Messiah is here. So what did he do? He went to Herod and said, let's kill every child two years old and under. That was not God's plan. But no matter what the devil throws at you, God can always turn whatever situation you're in for your good. God was able to divert his son and save the son. Now, what's my point? What you're going through, that's not God's plan. <laughs> God's plan is not evil. God's plan for you is good. It's always good. But don't forget, no matter how bad it gets, God has a plan. And everyone said, yeah. amen. So he says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. It might feel like I'm not listening right now, but listen to me. I am listening to you. All right. And this is the New Living Translation. Look at verse 13. He says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. Now, I love this. And we're going to move on after this. I love this. But again, God has a plan. No matter how bad it gets, I'm telling you, God has a plan. In fact, I was looking at my job recently. And I'll be careful. I was looking at my job recently and well, I'll get to that later. But my point is this. No matter how bad life gets, God has a plan. Amen. All right. Let's keep going. Look at this in John chapter seven. Now, when it comes to a plan, in fact, I'll go ahead and tell you this. The phrase that the Lord kind of propelled me from for this sermon in particular was this. You know that in Ecclesiastes, Solomon says time and chance happen to them all. You know that verse time and chance happen to them all. And I'll show you after this verse why that was the verse God used to propel for this message. But look at this in John chapter seven. And keep in mind, God has a plan, right? I'll say that probably a thousand times. In John chapter 7, verse 1, and keep in mind, in John 6, I just want you to keep in mind the context, because verse 1 says, after these things. There is no story that begins with after these things, all right? <laughs> That's a continuation. So in John 6, Jesus just fed the 5,000 plus. Once he finishes feeding the 5,000, he tells them, I am the bread of life, right? And once he starts talking about eating his flesh, drinking his blood, most of the disciples leave. The only ones that are left are the twelve. He turns around and says, why are you here? Peter says, where else will we go? Translation, we may not understand what you mean by everything, but we know that you have the words of life. So we'll stay with you. <laughs> so Jesus says, OK, then we pick up in John seven, verse one. It says, after these things, after everything that we just said happened, Jesus walked in Galilee for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, I want you to keep in mind he was supposed. Let me ask you, what was the reason Jesus was born? 
Let me say it this way. Why was Jesus born? To save the world. How? By dying. Right? He came into the world for one reason. To do what? To save us by dying for us. So you would think Jesus would never, you know, at the first opportunity. This is it. (laughs) But look right here. It says that he was in Galilee. He went to Galilee because he didn't want to go to Judea. If he had gone to Judea, they would have killed him. So he said, let's not go to Judea. (laughs) Now, wait a second. He's got one purpose. His one single purpose on earth is to do what? Die and die for all of us. Right. But let's find out why he didn't want to die at this point. Verse two. Now, the Jews feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers, therefore, said to him, depart from here. Now, this is his biological brothers. I mean, Jesus had brothers and sisters. Right. He had brothers and sisters. Okay, so his brothers therefore said to him, depart from here and go into Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. They're kind of being sarcastic for no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Right. Being sarcastic for even his brothers did not believe in him. But look at verse six. Then Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. Now, he had an opportunity to go down that trail with them. You want to be sarcastic? Let's do that. But he didn't. He said, I'm above you. (laughs) I'm above you. So he doesn't he doesn't respond sarcastically back. They say, if you want people to know who you are, why don't you just show yourself openly? Go to Judea. And Jesus says, my time isn't yet, but your time is always here. You can go to the feast if you want to. But my time hasn't come. Now, I saw this a couple of years ago, but I wanted to show you. I've mentioned it before, but I want you to see this. This is amazing. Watch this. The word time right here. Jesus said, my time has not yet come. He's not running from death. He's not running from death. The word time right here is the word kairos in the Greek. Kairos literally means time or season. So what he said was my time or my season hasn't yet come. My kairos hasn't yet come. But the helps word studies gives us a little more insight into this word kairos. Kairos literally means and this is a help study. I just want you to see it for yourself. It's the suitable time, the right moment, a favorable moment. Suitable time, the right moment, favorable moment. What am I trying to say? Jesus literally said my opportunity. One translation said it like this. My opportunity is not yet here. (laughs) My opportunity is not is not. This isn't my opportunity yet. Now, why am I telling you that? Think about it this way. God had a plan. Jesus must come. He must die. And when he dies, he'll die for everyone. But listen, he can't just go and die. It's not just death. He has to die the right way at the right time, at the right place, because everything has to be perfect in that moment. If he can fulfill every single thing that needs to be fulfilled, he can save you from everything in life that you would have to go through. He can save you. He can redeem you. He can break the generational curse. He can do everything for you that needs to be done. My God, he can save you from poverty. He can he can save you from everything on earth. But it has to be the right way. It has to be the right opportunity. So Jesus looked at death not as the end result. He looked at it as an opportunity for you. Isn't that beautiful? He looked at that as an opportunity. Death for him was an opportunity to save you and me. (laughs) I mean, this is the heart of God. I need the right opportunity to save you. It's not just death. It has to be the right time. It has to be the right place. So we don't need to go to Judea yet. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Jesus. Now watch this. In Hebrews 12, verse 1, and this is uh, verse 2. It's kind of where the theme for our church came out of. I'll show you in just a moment. Hebrews 12, verse 1, the Apostle Paul, who I believe wrote Hebrews, says, 
Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us or traps us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Watch this verse two. looking unto who? Oh, that was so sad. Looking unto who? Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at verse 2 one more time. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I put this in gold because notice what he says. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. That phrase set before him literally means uh, not something necessarily that was put in front of him. It was something that was always in front of him. In other words, it was lying in front of him. So what happened was this. Jesus had a a race, in a sense. He had an obstacle. He realized, if I want to save Matthew Edwards, I'm going to have to go through hell to get to him. But for the joy on the other side of hell, he endured it as if it was nothing, despising the shame of the cross. Yes, I'll be shamed. Yes, I'll be naked. Yes, they'll pull my hair. They'll spit on me. They'll beat me. They'll bruise me. I'll be so beaten that I won't even look like a human being anymore. In Isaiah, it will look like just flesh hanging on a cross. I mean, yes, I'll have to go through hell. But for the joy of Matthew Edwards, I can do this. For the joy of you, I can do this. For the joy of your children, I can do this. Because of the joy for me. You see, again, the cross was not God saying, you have no choice. The cross was Jesus saying, this is what's on the other side. I have no choice. (laughs) I have no choice. Sometimes we look at the, uh, in the garden where Jesus says, not my will, but your, your will be done. And I hate when people do this. I hate when they do it. They always have this idea, Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. It's like, you know, well, you know, he, he, was, he was afraid. He was, he was worried. And, you know, he said, God, if there's any other way, I don't want to go through it. And you have this idea of this frail, terrified Jesus. Like, no, I don't want to do it. God, please don't make me do it. And God said, you have to. So like a lamb going to the slaughter, he kept his mouth shut. and He had no choice. <laughs> Let me say this. The same way he was obedient, he asked us to be obedient. You know how Jesus was obedient? He was obedient in the fact that he wanted to save you. He wanted to set you free. He wanted to prosper you. He wanted to save your children. He wanted to break every curse over you. He wanted to. So obedience wasn't something that was demanded. It was something that he was happy to fulfill for the joy set before him. And now the same way he was obedient, God asked us to be obedient in this way. Don't don't look at it as a demand. Look at it as a joy that you get to do something that will save and help somebody else. Are you with me? He wasn't saying, oh, God, please get me out of this. He was saying, God, if there's any other way, let me know now, because once I commit to it, I'm done. (laughs) I'm saving them. And this is how I'm doing it. I love it, man. For the joy that was set before him, he endured all of that. Now, look at this in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11. Ecclesiastes 9:11, and uh, I would highly recommend Ecclesiastes is one of those tough books in a sense of everything you read in Ecclesiastes is very depressing. You pick up in uh, the beginning of chapter nine. Chapter nine is a really good chapter, but chapter nine, he says this. He said, I saw that under the sun, what happened to one man happened to another. I saw that what happened to a good man also happened to an evil man. I saw that the same testing and trial that a good man went through, an evil man went through too. And there was really no difference between them. So even though this man was good, his good works or his good deeds didn't really affect the things he went through. And I mean, it's very depressing. It's like, well, well dang, if you go, there, I have no choice. We're we going through hell together. Well, why even try? <laughs> it's, very, it's a very depressing book. But again, everything he says is he says, this is what I have observed under the sun. Everything I'm seeing, I'm writing down because I see it under the sun. All these things are happening under the sun. Now, what's the point? 
Yes, he was the wisest man on earth at that time, but his wisdom has been polluted because he no longer sees wisdom the way God intended him to. Wisdom should take you above the sun to see things from a bird's eye view. You begin to see things the way that God wants you to see. That's why I'm I'm telling you, ask God for a hearing heart, because God wants to be able to give you wisdom so that you're above the problem instead of going through the problem. But Solomon was going through problems. And so he said, under the sun, it looks like we're all the same. From the world's perspective, it looks like we're all the same on the surface. So on the surface, Solomon is saying, hey, there's not really much of a difference. But the Apostle Paul goes on to say this. Keep your mind on things above. Don't look at things linear. Look at things from above. Yes, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. Right. But Solomon, at this point, his wisdom has been polluted. So everything for him is under the sun. So anyways, he comes to this in Ecclesiastes 9. He says this. He says, I returned and I saw under the sun. There's that phrase that the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill. Now watch this. Just because you're strong doesn't mean you'll win. Just because you're fast doesn't mean you'll win the race. Just because you're the fastest does not mean you'll win the race. Just because you are uh, the the smartest person doesn't mean that you're going to win. And just because you have wealth doesn't mean you have understanding on how to get more. At the end of the day, all the things that the world say qualify you to win, it really doesn't mount to a hill of beans. Now, this is pretty depressing for people in the world. But again, in the world, that's how things are. In the world, they tell you this. Prepare yourself so that when the time comes, you will be ready. In fact, I'll never forget, there was a, uh, in college, there was an R&B artist named Neo. Does anyone know who Neo is? That's under the age of 35. Does anyone know who? <laughs> now, Neo, in college, he came out with a song, so sick of love songs, so sad of tears, so done with wishing you were still here. That was good. That was good. Anyways, Neo, as good as Neo was, they asked Neo one time, they said, I think it was Jay-Z's company that might have signed. They were like, how did you get signed? You know, who are you? And he was like, well, I just prepared myself and I just kept preparing and preparing. And he said, I knew that one day when my time would come, I would be ready. And sure enough, when his time came, guess what? He was ready. So in the world, that's the same mentality. Prepare yourself so that when the time comes, you'll be ready because you don't want to miss this opportunity. In the words of one of the greatest rappers of all time, you only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime, yo. Anyways, that's the, that's the mentality in the world. Always be ready. But you know that when you don't prepare yourself, what they say, you're preparing to lose. When you don't prepare to win, you're, yes. That was not a verse. But, but my point is this. In the world, it's always prepare, prepare, prepare. Get yourself ready for this next spot. But you know that when you follow the Lord, the Lord will prepare you. He will. You'll prepare yourself for the next level. He'll prepare you for 10 levels down the road. He will. He'll prepare you for that. And all the while you go, but God, when? God, why? This person got the promotion and they were ready. I need to be ready like that person. And all the while the Lord is going, but I'm preparing you for a position above that. I have a plan. (laughs) I have a plan. It's not because that person was smart. I have a plan. Now, it might look like everyone else is being promoted above you or around you and things are happening for other people. But don't worry. I have a plan. Now, do you believe I have a plan for you? Again, not just a plan for the world. I have a plan for you. Are you with me? And it's a good plan. (laughs) All right. Can you trust me? Now, look at this. Let me say this. God's plan, time and chance, it says it happens to them all. And on the surface, it looks like anybody who wins, well, time and chance happen to them all. But you know that Solomon said something that to to me, I'm telling you, I wonder if he knew what he said. When I saw this, I, I wonder if Solomon knew what he was saying. Because even though his wisdom is polluted, it's still wisdom from God. 
So Solomon says something that right here, you don't see it in the English, but he said something. And I'm telling you, I praise God that our eyes have been opened to see the truth. Do you remember when Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega? In the Hebrew, what is Alpha and Omega? Does anyone know? It's first and last. But in the Hebrew, what is the Aleph Tav? Aleph Tav. Aleph is A. Tav is the last letter in the Hebrew alphabet, right? I won't preach that whole sermon. But Jesus said, I am the Aleph and I am the Tav. When time and chance happen to them all, right here, this whole context is talking about people who win. People who win. So it looks like he's talking about everyone in the world, but I submit to you he's not. He's talking about when it comes to God's people, it's not the smartest. It's not the brightest. It's not the best looking. It's not the wealthiest. It's not the best prepared. It's not. It's none of those. It's not even the strongest. When it comes to God's people, there's something about time and chance that happened to the winners, to the winners. Are you with me? Are you ready to see what it is? Look at this. Watch this. This is it in Hebrew. Hebrew reads from right to left. So watch this. But time and chance happened to them all, right? On the right, it says, but... Time and chance happen, blank space, to them all. Now, what's the blank space in gold that we put? Right here on the right, the X-looking letter is Aleph, and the letter right beside it, guess what that is? Tav. What is he saying? But time and chance, Jesus, happened to the winners. <laughs> Jesus is happening to the winners. When it comes to God's people, it, it said, it's not, forget the world. When it comes to God's people, there is not every one of God's children that win in life. God's promises you will win, but not every one of God's children win in life. But there are some of God's people, some of God's people. And I believe everyone at Center Church is qualified for this. Amen. Some of God's people, I'm telling you, Jesus is happening to you. Yes. Jesus is happening to you. God's grace is happening to you. Because when it's Jesus, it's none of you. When it's Jesus, it's none of Matthew Edwards. It's all him. It's all him. So, yes, he has a plan. And, yes, you will win. You know why? Because Jesus is working for you. Jesus is making everything happen for you. I'm telling you, it's not how smart you are now, how good you are, how prepared you are. It's the grace of God that will cause time and chance to happen for you. So whatever God has put in your hands, it might look like it's taking a long time. My God, it's taking forever to get to where we want to be. But God has a plan. Joseph's story took almost 16 plus years. When he started, he was a teenager. By the time he got to Egypt, he was like 32. <laughs> I mean, there was ample opportunity to say, God, when? God, where? When he gets to Potiphar's house, he looks around and says, we're moving on up. And then guess what happened? We're moving back down. <laughs> that verse is not in the song. <laughs> here we are. And here at the pit with just two people who he didn't even know, two people who tell him a dream, he gives their interpretation and he sits in prison for another year. God, where are you? <laughs> Thank you for the favor in the prison, but I'm still in prison. <laughs> God, where are you? And what happens? It's from the prison he goes to the palace. From the prison he goes to the palace. It's from the lowest point that God propels him to the greatest point. Are you with me? And all the while, the question is, do you believe that God has a plan for you, <laughs> for you? And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Now let's move on. I told you I have a lot to share, but I'm not going to go very long. There's a story of a man who had, a, uh, who had done something. He was prepared. And when the time came for promotion, guess what happened? He missed it. But let's see what happened. In Esther chapter 2, if you don't know the story of Esther, go back and read the whole story for yourself. It's only six chapters, I think, six or seven chapters. It's an amazing story. But I want to point out not the story of Esther so much. I want to look at a man named Mordecai. Can you say Mordecai? I want to show you a story about a man named Mordecai. In Esther chapter 2, verse 21, look at this. It says, in those days while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, and the king's gate means he sat on the king's uh, panel or the king's, um, uh, he was in the government, so to speak. 
When it came time to make decisions for the city, he was in the king's gate. Does that make sense? Lot, we talked about Lot two weeks ago. Lot sat on the gate of the city of Sodom, meaning, again, he was in the political system. When decisions had to be made, like a judge, he was one of those people. So likewise, Mordecai has been promoted to sit in the king's gate. Uh, it says, now he sat within the king's gate. Two of the king's eunuchs, Bigthan and Teresh, doorkeepers, became furious and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. Now notice, she informed the king in whose name? Mordecai. Mordecai finds out somebody wants to kill the king. He goes and tells the queen. The queen doesn't take uh, ownership of it. She says, Mordecai told me somebody wants to kill you. So Mordecai got credit for it. Verse 23, and when an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed, and both were hanged on the gallows. (laughs) And it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Now watch this. After these things, not 10 years later, after these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, not the one who saved his life. He promoted Haman. Now, again, Haman is the villain in the story. We're not going to tell Esther's story, but I want you to understand he is the bad guy. Haman and Mordecai do not like each other at all. He just saved the king's life and the king promotes his enemy. Now watch this. The son of Hamadetha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. Now watch this. When he got promoted, I want you to see what was his promotion. Okay. He advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman. When Haman got promoted, what happened? The king said, all my princes, all my servants will bow to you. You are above everybody else. Now, if I'm Mordecai, and I'm just, let's make Mordecai human for a second. If I'm Mordecai, I'm angry. God, I saved him. Then he promoted him. If there's any promotion available at this point, that was the promotion. But do you believe that God has a plan? All right. Now, if you don't know the story, again, it's a phenomenal story. If you do know the story, then you know where we're going. Let's fast forward. Let's fast forward to chapter six. Now, when we come to chapter six, watch what happens. Mordecai missed the promotion. Haman got it. In Esther chapter 6, verse 1, it says that that night the king could not sleep. So the king has a sleepless night one night. You know that the Bible says God gives sleep to his beloved? Sometimes if you can't sleep, just remind the Lord, you give sleep to your beloved. (laughs) Because you love me, you'll help me get to sleep. (laughs) Anyways, that night the king could not sleep. So one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. I love it. He doesn't have to read himself. He said, just read it to me. (laughs) And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Begothan, Big, I'm not going to mess his name up, and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Then the king said, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. And, oh man, oh, let me stop here. So the king's servants said, nothing's been done for him. Now let's pause for a moment. We're going to skip to uh, verse 7 so you see what happens for him. But before we skip there, I want you to know something. He missed his promotion. He missed his opportunity on the surface. But again, God has a plan. God has a plan. Just because somebody else got promoted at your job does not mean that you missed it. Just because it looks like there is no promotion available does not mean that you missed it. Just because other ministries, other businesses, other things are going on around you and it looks like they're succeeding. God's favor is over here. God's favor is over there. God, where's your favor for me? It might look like that, but I'm telling you, God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. 
Let me say this. Your heavenly father, forget God. Your heavenly father has not forgotten you. Do you know that he said a mother may forget her child that's nursing at her breast in that moment? She might forget her, but I will never forget you. I could never forget you. Not when I've engraved your name on my hand. Every time God's, I mean, your name is engraved on his hand. You realize to engrave your name on his hand means when he reaches out for anything, your name is there. Every time he looks at his hand, your name is there. Jesus before the father, when he looks at him, he says, Jesus, what can I do? You are engraved on his heart. (laughs) I mean, come on. He will never forget you. It might look like you're forgotten in that moment. But let me say this. He loves to play his cards close to his chest. (laughs) God will tell you, this is where I'm taking you milk and honey. Just go, just go milk and honey. And then somewhere in the wilderness, you might look up and go, but God, where are you? And he says, don't worry. I've been walking with you the entire time. I've never forgotten about you. Are you with me? So it looked like he missed the promotion. It looked like he missed his opportunity, right? But watch this. When the promotion came the first time, it was all the king's servants, all the princes. Everyone bows to him. When he realized nothing had happened for him, now this is God's plan in motion. Watch this. Verse 7. Haman walks in and the king says to Haman, can you hit next on that? Thank you, sir. You might have to actually click on it. There we go. Haman walks in and the king says, we need to do something for him. All of a sudden, Haman says, the king must be talking about me. And the king says, Haman, what should we do for the one in whom the king delights? He doesn't tell them, right? Most of you know the story. He doesn't tell Haman he's talking about Mordecai. He just says, I delight in someone. What should I do for him? Haman says, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought in which the king has worn. Haman didn't get that. And a horse on which the king has ridden. Haman didn't get that. Which has a royal crest placed on his head. He certainly didn't get that. Verse 9, then let this robe and the horse be delivered to the hand of the one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man or dress the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. See, when Haman got promoted, it was all the king's servants, all the princes. When Mordecai gets promoted, the entire city has to bow to him. Everybody in the city. It's not just someone who got promoted. Now it's, this is the one whom the king delights. This is the one in whom the king delights. Oh, and by the way, he gets to be dressed like the king himself. (laughs) I'm telling you, God hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten you. He's got a plan. But his plan is this. I can give you the promotion that you wanted so bad that your heart was so over. I can give it to you. If I give it to you, know this, though. It might come with some extra things. But if you can trust me and believe that I have a plan for you, my promotion will be better than the one that you think you missed. You didn't miss it. But my promotion can be better. Will you trust that he has a plan for you? Everyone said, amen. Don't forget, it's Jesus that happens to you. It's grace that happens to you. It's unearned, undeserved favor that happens to you. Let's bring this to a close. In Proverbs chapter 16, let's bring this to a close. I got two more, two more references, right? In Proverbs chapter 16, again, David, I'm, no, Solomon, I'm sorry. Solomon says this, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. But look at this. In the Amplified Classic Edition, it says, roll your works upon the Lord. Commit and trust them wholly to him. Now watch this. I'm going to show you a secret. Roll your works upon the Lord. Commit and trust them wholly to him. He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to his will. And so shall your plans be established and succeed. You want to know how you can always be at the right place at the right time? You want to know how you can do it? You see, again, the world says, prepare yourself. 
Learn the market. Learn the way things are turning. Learn the way culture and everything is swayed. Learn all these details. Learn all this stuff. Take your time, your effort, and focus. Drive. Drive it home. Motivate yourself to get where you think you should be. God says, just give me all your plans, (laughs) and I'll turn your thoughts so that they line up with my will. Come to me and tell me what you want to do. I know what you want to do. I know your heart. I put that dream in you. But just come to me anyways. And if you'll come to me, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll turn your thoughts so that every thought you have agrees to my will. You see, that's why we said that at the beginning of the year. This is the year of what? Asking God for what type of heart? Hearing heart. A hearing heart. And all the thoughts and intents of your heart, the Holy Spirit hears it. You know, this morning I was going to talk about tongues, how when you pray in the spirit, God can lead you. But again, the Lord just kind of pushed me in this direction. He says, I'll cause the thoughts to line up with my will. Yes, you should pray in the spirit. We'll talk about that later. But as for right now, bring your plans to the Lord and he'll change your thoughts, meaning you'll hear what the Lord wants you to do. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Now, let's bring this to a close. Last verse. Last verse. And we'll close with this. Jeremiah 32. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, but I never share it because I feel like I would overshare it. Favorite verse. Look at this. Jeremiah 32, verse 38. Again, this is the same Jeremiah that we started out with. He's telling the people in 29, he says, I know you've been in captivity. Don't worry, the time is ending. And he keeps telling them what he's going to do. Then he comes to chapter 32 and he says this. God says through the mouth of Jeremiah, he says, they shall be my people and I will be their God. They shall be my people. They will be mine. The world will know that they belong to me. I will be their God. I will be their God. Then he says this. Then I will give them one heart and one way. Now, let me say this. If you look at the context, God says, I'm going to bring them back to Israel. I'll bring them from the north, from the south, from the east and from the west. And right now, that is literally what God is doing. He's bringing all the Jewish people back home. Last year when we were there in Israel, they were saying that there's even plans uh, in motion that the government funds that if people want to come back to Israel and they are Jewish, that the government will pay for them to come back home. I mean, they're saying, hey, look, we want you to come back home so bad. We'll pay for you to come back home and we'll set you up with everything you need. Just come back home. God is drawing his people from the north, the south, the east and the west. All right. We are seeing this verse fulfilled even right now. But don't forget, Paul said every promise that's for them is not just for them. It's for us as well. They are not all Israel that are Israel, right? So because it belongs to us as well, God is saying, hey, look, in that day when this happens, and that's our day, that's even right now. In that day when it happens, he says, I'll give you one heart and one way. What is that? God is saying, I'm bringing everyone back to the truth of my grace. I'm bringing everyone back to the truth of Jesus and Christ alone. Not you plus me, just me. (laughs) So he says, I'm giving them one heart and I'm giving them one way that they may fear me forever. The word fear, Jesus translated as worship. So they'll worship me forever for the good of them and their children after them. God is thinking about your children. And everyone said for the good of them and their children after you. Verse 40. And he says, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you that I will not turn away from doing you good. I make a covenant with you. That I will never stop doing you good. Never. I will never. I will never stop doing you good. It might look like hell on earth, but I'm telling you, I will never stop doing you good. Even when it looks like bad things are happening. Well, this must be from. Don't even entertain that thought. Don't even entertain it. God said, I made a covenant with you. I will never stop doing you good. But I will put my fear again, fear. I'll put my worship in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. He says, you might have walked away from me for other things before, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to cause you to fall in love with me so much 
that now you're going to worship me from your heart and you'll never want to leave me again. Yes, I will rejoice over you to do you good. And I will assuredly plant you in this name with all my heart and with all my soul. I highlighted verse 41. We'll close with this because I want you to see this. What makes your heavenly father happy? What makes him happy? When you talk about what makes Jesus mad, what made him mad is when he said, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? And all the Pharisees kept their mouth shut. He says, is it lawful for me to heal this man on the Sabbath? And they couldn't be gracious enough to say yes. So he got angry. You know what makes him angry? Lack of grace. The Apostle Paul goes on to say this. Don't don't grieve the Holy Spirit. But that phrase, grieve the Holy Spirit, we've interpreted as, well, don't sin. Don't do this. Don't commit adult. Don't do all these things. These things grieve the Holy Spirit. But the context even of that is this. He says this. Let your conversation be full of grace. Don't let anything that's not graceful come out of your mouth. Comma. Next verse. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit. When you say things that aren't graceful, man, I hope that person gets what they get. It grieves the Holy Spirit. When you say things that, well, uh, man, they deserve what they got coming to them. It grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves him. How can you say something like that when our father has been so gracious to you? It makes him sad. So do you understand what makes him sad? What makes him angry is a lack of grace. But right here, what makes him happy is when he gets to do good to you. When he gets to do good to you, man, he, mm, it makes him happy. Saving you makes him smile. Blessing you makes him smile. Giving you more favor makes him smile. Setting you up and making sure that his plan happens for you makes him smile. So if that makes him happy, let's let him be happy. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning, Jesus. We thank you that you are happy to do good to us. You are happy to be gracious to us. Jesus, we thank you this morning that you are happy to bless us to favor us, to protect us. So, Lord, we say, have your way. (laughs) Have fun with us. Take pleasure in us. Father, this morning we declare that we are the love, the most loved people in the city of Charlotte. We are the most favored church in the city of Charlotte. Our families are the most protected people in the city of Charlotte. And we thank you that because you love doing that for us, We welcome everything that you have for us this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Hmm. Just take a minute real quick. We'll do one more song, but just take a moment right here, just out of your own heart. If there's something that you need the Lord to do for you, just out of your own heart, just quietly under your breath, just say it out loud. Jesus, you're here this morning. And I thank you that you hear even that you see even the intents of our heart. But this morning, Lord, I thank you that you hear the words that come out of our mouths. Everything that's bothering us, everything that might be moving anyone in here. I thank you that you have a plan. You have a plan, Lord. So this morning, Father, we rest in your plan for us, knowing that it's good, knowing that it's better than what we were looking for. This morning, Lord, I thank you that you are even right now here. The Lord is saying I'm doing exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or think. But I want you to trust me. I want you to just believe that I love you and I'll take care of the rest. Thank you, Jesus. May the Lord bless you this week and you're going out and then you're coming in. May the Lord continue to open doors of opportunity for you and for your family. May the Lord keep you and your family always at the right place at the right time. May the Lord keep you and everything that he's committed into your hands. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. 
May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and may you enjoy his peace this week. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. I love you. I love you. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.